Broadcasting live from Baltimore, Maryland. The Breath of Life Ministries presents Experience the Power. When God gets ready, He can deliver you. If you call on Him, if you trust in Him, He's worthy. 
go live to the Miracle Temple Worship Center, where our service is in progress. Tonight, uh, we're talking about night school. Now, long ago, the uh, term used to be a derogatory term. In fact, I heard jokes about people saying, yeah, he got a degree, but he went to night school. Hey, I got some news for you. Night school isn't bad anymore. In fact, night school can be just as prestigious as day school. They call it distance learning. Eh? Eh, I tell you what, if you can't go in the day, go at night. Uh, the professor is uh, usually a little keener at night because at night the people are a little bit more mature and it keeps the professor on toes. So night school doesn't mean what it used to mean, but you know we're not going exactly in that direction. In fact, if you'll turn to John chapter 3. Uh, there's a verse not far from John chapter 3 that everybody knows by heart. And I'm afraid I'm not going there so you won't be able to show your expertise in knowing that one verse. I'll skirt around it. Otherwise you'll wait for the moment and everybody will scream it just to let them know how great you are with memory. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you that chance. John chapter 3. Uh, let me do the first seven verses. And uh, they tell me that we're getting high tech now and you're going to see that written. I don't know. I'm going to read it from my Bible. I'll do it the old-fashioned way. And here's what it says. This is John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we ask that the Holy Spirit's power might be dispensed to this place. Not just to the one who has been chosen to speak. I, I need you. But I am not selfish when I ask. I ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit's power might move among the congregations around the world. That they might know that the power of God is with us. And I pray that as we open the Holy Word, that while you use my personality, you won't let it get in your way. And that you'll make your voice clear tonight. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Night school. Let me point out something that, uh, that I caught. I, I must confess to you that I read text over and over again. I read a statement ages ago that says, if you look at a thing a thousand times, you are safe. But if you dare to look at it a thousand and one times, you are in danger of seeing it all over again. 
So I confess to you that there are times when I just read and read and not speed read, but take every word and see how it twists and how it falls. And I've been amazed that when you read the same thing over again, you can find new meaning in old things in the Bible. Uh, here is a situation where Lord Nicodemus, a ruler, and when you take that word and test it, it means teacher. So I'm about to uh, play on words a little bit. Uh, the word rabbi also means teacher. So when Nicodemus asked his mid-management functionaries, find where Jesus is, you see one teacher going to meet another teacher at night. So night school is essentially from the outset one teacher finding another teacher and when you see how it starts you know that Nicodemus has come to use words skillfully. The fact is that uh, most people, in fact most preachers, I confess that preachers have given Nicodemus a hard time. Most preachers have talked about him because he was educated, erudite, rich. And long ago, preachers used to say that everybody who was rich was bad. It was popular because people who came to church tended to be poor. At least they pretended to be. I've learned something. If you stay with Jesus, the odds are that you won't stay poor. Ah, I got an amen on that. In fact, on Tuesday night, I'm going to preach a sermon about what God promises to people who are faithful to Jesus. If you remain poor, there's something wrong with your connection. So long ago, we gave people a hard time because they were poor or educated. In fact, preachers have punched holes in Nicodemus's image. They have given him a hard time. But these days, you've got to be careful. I especially have to be careful because I'm part of Breath of Life television ministry. And there are people who support us who have a lot of money. So tonight, I want to say how much I love you. <laughs> All the people who support us. Nicodemus is rich, he's powerful, he's educated, but there's something different about Nicodemus and you might as well admit it because I can tell you that if you think carefully, there was no politically correct reason for Nicodemus to go looking for Jesus. Think about it. He already had everything. And if he wanted to be parted from the company of his peers, the rest of the members of the Sanhedrin already looked down upon this rabbi, Jesus. So he took a risk by going to see Jesus. But he had seen Jesus do some things that convinced him that this was no ordinary teacher or preacher. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced. I've had some things happen in my life that are not so lofty but I promise you that I know Jesus is not an ordinary teacher or an ordinary preacher. Jesus makes amazing things happen. I've got a very good friend who, uh, who posits that Jesus, in fact, anybody who claims to be divine, only works in the macro. Have you got it? So he says to me that 
uh, we Christians are a little bit mundane in the way we approach Christ and the way we approach God. He says, what we do is we ask for little tiny things. He said, God is not concerned with the micro. God is only concerned with the macro. You know what I told him? Speak for your God, not mine. My God is interested in the macro. He does amazingly big things. Anybody ever get a big thing from God? There are things that I have that I didn't order. God has given me some things that I didn't have enough wisdom to ask for or enough imagination to think I could get. But he loves me that much that he gives me stuff that I don't ask for. Can I get a witness in this house? So I believe that Jesus can do big things. But let me tell you, growing up as the, the child of a contractor in the South and uh, a teacher for a religious system, money would run out before the month did. And I'm sure you can't relate. I'm looking at you. You look as though you've never known these challenges. I'm glad that I have. You know, I, I, I must say this to you. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but if you've never been broke, you are culturally deprived. <laughs> There's stuff I know about Jesus because I was poor and uh, I'm only about two inches from poverty today. <laughs> there are things I know about Jesus that people who have never had a need will never know. I know that Jesus comes through on time. <laughs> Well, I don't have time. I could preach a whole sermon on that. But what I want to show you is that this Christ is not ordinary. When Lord Nicodemus came into contact with him, he recognized that while Nicodemus had higher credentials and higher temporal power, that is worldly power, while he commanded more respect as a member of the Sanhedrin, when he was in the presence of Jesus, there was something about this man that was powerful. Amen. The Bible says he spake as one who had authority. Amen. Where did his authority come from? It certainly did not come from the rabbinical schools. Jesus had not matriculated there. Jesus had not received any kind of approbation from any group in authority. His authority came from God. Now, now let me pause for a moment because I've seen some preachers Take that to mean that education is bad. I posit to you tonight that there is no tension between education and spirituality. You can have both. You ought to seek to have both. So any young person who's here tonight, don't let this preacher convince you that you ought not get every educational credential that you can get. Yeah? If you're in high school, Quit acting like you're on the lower level. Belly up to the bar and make an A every now and then. You got to develop your mind if you're going to please God. If you're in college, quit making excuses. Ask God to rearrange your gray matter. Ask him to stir up the synapses of your brain. Ask God to teach you how to read and retain. Ask God to make your memory better than it's ever been. And then don't put your book under your pillow and lay down on it. 
open it up and let God do what God can do. If you're in grad school, hey, go to it with all you've got. God does not say you ought to be dumb. He simply lets you know that wisdom is without the power of God, nothing. In fact, I suggest to you that somebody with a lot of degrees and no contact with God is a dangerous weapon. <laughs> wisdom comes from God. Information comes from classrooms and books. When you put them together, you can be an amazing human being. Are we still together? So, don't, don't ever let the Bible fool you when it says stuff like this, but Jesus had not gone to the schools. He, he had, however, been in contact with his father early in the morning. He would wake up, wouldn't make plans for a day before he talked to his father. That's why he knew what was going to happen before it happened. Because God knows the end from the beginning. And if you would talk to him early in the morning, he'd tell you what was going to happen. He'd prepare you. Oh, or he might not tell you what was going to happen. He'd just tell you what path to take so that you could avoid danger. So, so watch this. This Nicodemus with all of his power comes to Jesus by night. And then they start this amazing little rhetorical pirouette. <laughs> we, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. No one can do these miracles unless he's sent from God. And Jesus listens, but he's unimpressed. Remember, he already talked to his father. He knew Nicodemus was coming, knew what Nicodemus would say. So when Nicodemus has finished using correct language, he doesn't quite want to say that he's a prophet. He doesn't quite want to say that he's the son of God. But he can't avoid saying some things, and though there were no tape recorders or video players in those days, he's got to be a little careful in case one of his peers is lurking somewhere in the shadows. So he says, just enough, but not too much. And I sat back when I first read it, and I said, yeah, Jesus is going is to go back at him and, and is going to exchange wit with him. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't. He cuts through the red tape and says, you must be born again. <laughs> Sounds kind of rude, but it was straight to the point. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to show you a place here in a minute. That'll be the first experience, the power moment. But the fact is that, that Nicodemus had sensed something in Christ. One writer, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in this writer, but listen to it. It might might at least tickle your fancy. One writer says that Nicodemus knew that Jesus, while he was very spiritual, was not very political. In fact, this writer suggests Nicodemus went to Jesus to become his mentor in political matters. His thought, says the writer, was that he could guide Jesus' career and help him maneuver through the labyrinthine, uh, the tunnels of political chicanery. <laughs> that he could spare Jesus all of the perils that he might face. Hey, let me tell you something. When you got God on your side, 
you can handle the chicanery. Yeah. So Jesus cuts through the red tape and says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now Nicodemus comes back with uh, pure rhetoric. Nicodemus doesn't even believe what he's saying now, but a lot of educated people are this way. You know, when you spend too long in the classroom with no contact with God, your brain gets directed in strange places. So he says to Jesus, you mean be born again? Can an old man enter again to his mother's womb? Is that what you are suggesting, Jesus? Jesus skips past this. The fact is that the Essenes had baptized, that John the Baptist had baptized, he knew what the new birth was, but the fact is that those who thought themselves sons of Abraham thought that by birth they were too holy to repent. Now you want to call that uh, Nicodemus problem alone? I have met people not long ago who thought themselves too holy to repent. Haven't you? I love it when I get around them. You usually meet them at dinner somewhere. And just in the course of conversation, they will mention, uh, uh, oh, did you know my, my uncle built that church? Did you pass it? It's an amazing building. He, when I was a child, he would tell me all the time how they were building it. So you will see, if you go to look at the cornerstone, you'll see my uncle's name there. As though that made you better than anybody else. Let, let, me, let me make it plain, and I'm going to try not to be crass, but it might sound so. If your mother had the unfortunate experience of bearing you on a pew, you were still not born in the church. the way to get into the church is not to be born it's to be born again <laughs> first birth won't do it we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity well I got a list of stuff down here Job chapter 14 and verse 4 says that you cannot bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says we all of our righteousness says when you pile them up they are still like filthy rags I know how to break it down somebody is thinking why doesn't he say that I don't think it needs to be said I think we understand what filthy rags represent and the Bible is clear that if you stacked up all your righteous acts all of them would represent filthy rags Psalm 51.10 says that you've got to get a clean heart. And then Ezekiel 36.26 says what you need is to get rid of the heart of stone and let Jesus give you a heart of flesh. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people today with a heart of stone. They are stone-hearted. But if you're still stone-hearted, you haven't been born again. You were born, but not born again. So born in sin and shaped in iniquity, Lord Nicodemus, with all of his accolades, with all of his credentials, can you imagine what he looked like walking into that dark place on the Mount of Olives, walking up to Jesus? And he knew this Jesus was not ordinary. 
And after he finishes it, strange little his introduction, Jesus says to him, Even you, Lord Nicodemus, even you with your Abrahamic background, with your blood that's pure in your sight, even you cannot go into the kingdom of heaven because what's flesh is flesh and what's spirit is spirit. So you can't do it that way. Uh, I stuck my head in a book a couple of times. I ran across something there that says that uh, there are philosophers, there are people who study uh, how children are born. They say that children come here uh, in Latin, tabula rasa. You come like a blank page, a clean sheet of paper. Anybody who has ever had a child know that children do not come here tabula rasa. I, I know you, you cherish all the memories of your children. Everybody thinks that their children is the smartest, their child is the smartest child and the most good looking child. The fact is that children, if you just watch them, just leave them alone, don't influence them, just watch them, you'll see that they are not born without negative influence. Huh? That little cute thing you bring home? They get hungry? You're not ready to feed them? Look at their little hands. That little hand looks like if it were powerful enough, your own little baby would choke you to death for a bottle of milk. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm bursting your bubble. Forgive me. Yeah, people get so carried away with their children. I have met some of these tabula rasa children in the grocery store. These timeout kids. No, they grab one can, make all the cans fall. I traveled to London one night with two timeout kids leaning over the seat in front of me. I felt my belt coming out of the loops. <laughs> but you can go to jail for that stuff. You gotta be careful. The fact is we are born in sin. Nicodemus, even you, even you, born the seed of Abraham. You've got to be born again. Would you allow me to do something? I, uh, I would like for pure homiletic purposes to invert what Jesus said. Jesus says three things. You must be born again. It's like the wind. And the final thing he says is, that if you hold up Christ like Moses held up the serpent in the wilderness, you can look and live. Would you allow me to start at the end and come backwards? Little drama in there. Uh, you have read it. Well, if you haven't read it, the fact is that you can go to the Bible and you will discover Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 through 9. You will discover the wilderness experience that came forth with this serpent. The fact is that the children of Israel had complained. I don't have time to preach this sermon to you, but if you want problems in your life to multiply, complain. Should I repeat that or do I have time? So if you think things are so terrible that you start, I don't like the way things are going, 
when, when God is blessing you even with your trials, God can simply take a step back. In fact, he never has to take the step back. He just watches you as you step away from him. And as you walk outside of that fence that he has built around you. The Israelites complained themselves outside of God's protecting power and all of a sudden they started being bitten by what they thought were serpents. Uh, the the, the uh, scholars have called them everything from pinworms to pit vipers, but it doesn't make any difference what they were. When they bit you, you died. Is that serious or what? Anything that bites you and you die is a serious problem. The people began to murmur. They said, Moses, you got to do something. Moses and Aaron were trained in metallurgy. God told them, make a brass serpent. Put it on top of a pole and lift it up. And then tell the people, if you've been bitten, just look. There were some people who said, that's stupid. I can't help you to look. There are still some people who are dying with their problems because they don't have enough faith to just look at Jesus. There were other people who said, well, I've got my own remedy. I've got some salve and I can put it on there. And if I put that on where the snake bit, I can be okay. There are still people like that who will not come to Christ. They insist on making up their own way for healing when the simple solution is to turn away from the problem and look at Jesus. So Jesus said to, to Nicodemus, when you see me lifted up as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, I want you to know that you can look at me and there is healing in my being lifted up. <laughs> so I tell you tonight that the, the very highest moment of my preaching is what I can tell people that no matter what sin problem you've got in your life, no matter what habit you've got in your life, no matter what addiction you've got in your life, you may need someone to guide you to a point where Jesus can grab you. But when you get to the place where you look at Jesus with eyes of faith, you will live. There is power in Jesus to give life. I, I have seen people with all kinds of problems who simply looked. Well, let's move now because that's the end of what he said. And I truly believe that the look of faith will change your life. In fact, until you look at Christ, so long as you're focusing on your problem, your problem will control you. So why don't you take a risk? Do like the God told them through Moses. Stop worrying about your snake bite. Let somebody bring you if you can't walk. And then just go to the place where you can look at the bronze serpent that represents Jesus. And you will live. The next part of that equation says that the change which the Holy Ghost makes in people. The Holy Spirit transforms you, but you can't see it with the natural eye. It's like the wind blowing. Now, I, uh, I like wind. I, I like sailboats. If there's anybody here who has a sailboat, 
and has gotten weary of it, you can reach me. You can contact me. <laughs> well, to be very honest with you, I would prefer not to have a sailboat. I've seen how much work it takes to make those go. I would prefer a, a yacht. Get something about 40 feet ought to be about perfect. <laughs> but the beauty, the poetry is in the sailboat. Because the sailboat has an engine, but the engine is not for the trip. The engine is just to get the craft out to a place where the wind blows. Well, there's a sermon in that. Can I give you a little piece of it? There are a lot of people who try to make it through life on their own little puny engine. Put, 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 put. But God has not given you that power to run your life. He's given you that power just to get you where the wind blows. And when you get to the place where the Holy Spirit's wind is blowing, you will discover that you'll, the sails will fill up and there's nothing more beautiful than a sailboat moving silently. You turn the engine off because you don't need your little putt-putt anymore. The power of the wind drives you. And I wish that I could be one of those. But I'll settle for the yacht. So I'm saying to you that when Lord Nicodemus had his discussion with Jesus. Jesus said to him, you may not be able to tell what the Holy Spirit does, but even you must be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can't prove it by what you see. You prove it by what happens with a power that is invisible. We've had enough hurricanes in this part of the, of the world for us to believe in the power of the wind. My wife and I have a little tree on the edge of our house. Well, taller than I am, but, you know, little tree. And uh, two, three hurricanes ago, the wind bent our tree over. It was such a wonderful tree until then. And right on the corner of the house where the wind got it with nothing to protect it, it bent over. I thought I would go out and straighten it. <sighs> I couldn't budge it. <laughs> I couldn't move it. So I called those guys who charge a lot of money. You know them, don't you? They came out. They were so happy. I saw them smiling as they were putting it back in place, thinking, no doubt, how much they would charge me when they were finished. They put it back. They put, uh, they put boards and held it. They wired it in place. And then we took them down. And there came another hurricane and bent it back in the same way. They came again. They charged me even more. But this time, I left all of that protection so that my tree stands now, not only in its own power, its root system, it stands with that same power that held it up straight. The fact is that that tree was moved by an invisible force. And I tell you that just as surely as a hurricane can move a tree, the Holy Spirit can change your life. And while people think that they were changed suddenly, Jesus changes us through his spirit little by little. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that you can either believe or not. The Lord has been putting wind in your life for all of your days. Just a little wind. Just a little wind. It moved you just a little bit. It pushed you just a little distance.
In fact, somebody is in here tonight because the wind finally pushed you a little and pushed you a little and pushed you a little until you are here tonight to experience the power. So when a lot of people say, it was on a Tuesday night, when suddenly I was listening to a preacher, or I was reading the Bible, or I was meditating on Christ, and it happened right there, what you don't know is that Jesus was always blowing you just a little bit. So when you thought he didn't care about you, he was blowing you just a little bit. And sometimes when you complain that you got moved just a little bit, it was his love that was pushing you. Are you still with me? So the wind is a symbol of how the Holy Spirit works in your life. You may think that one day, in fact, I would like for you to think, you know, I'm a preacher. I would like for you to come to a meeting with me and hear me preach a sermon and the Lord makes me say something. You say, ah, did you hear what that man said? That was it. I was converted. You know, I'd like to go along with that. But the fact is that in all of my 35 years of preaching, I have never converted one soul. I've seen a lot of them converted. But I knew it wasn't me. It was a little wind. And a little wind. And then when Jesus finally got you in the right place, he gave you a big wind that blew you exactly where you always wanted to be. And that's what Jesus said to Lord Nicodemus. Well, before I get to my favorite part, let me get you to a moment of experiencing the power. You need to turn to this one because you need to read it for yourself. If you don't read it, you'll doubt it. John chapter 3 and verse 9. John chapter 3 and verse 9. Let me see, is it up there? All right, I'm trying to experience the print. <laughs> and I don't see it. John chapter 3 and verse 9. And if you start there, let, let's, let's read something. Now you've got to read this with, uh, with intentionality. But listen to what it says. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? You know, Jesus had explained this new birth to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, Wait a minute. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> I'm not some kid on the street. I'm not one of your normal hangers-on. I've been trained in theology. I know my stuff. You're going to come and tell me that I can be born again and it's like the wind? How can these things be? Watch verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Let me read. I'll get back to you. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? Do you feel the power in there? Now, I, 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 I must confess to you that I did not come from the suburbs. I was not born there. Many of you were not born there either. And this is not an ethnic thing. I have discovered in my life that people from every diverse background experience the same kinds of things. 
When I was living in the most impoverished situation in my life, I was living in a duplex. And right next door to my family, through a very thin wall, a, a wall through which you could hear every conversation, there were people who looked nothing like us. So I learned that it's not your skin color or your ethnicity that determines your experiences. People from every background experience some of the same kinds of things. They were just as poor as we were. And we were just as poor as they were. We cooked beans and we could smell them through the wall. We knew what they had to eat. We didn't have to go next door. <laughs> so, so I was born in, in a, an urban context. That's the cute way to say it. <laughs> Fact is, I was born in something that they call the hood. That is not a part of your car. Let me tell you something, in the hood, when people talk like this, you get kind of quiet, you know, so, oh, you know, hey, did the rabbi say, hey, how can these things be? Jesus says, you mean you're a big time rabbi, huh, ruler of the Jews, and you don't know this? Forgive me, I just changed that, didn't I? <laughs> I translated that into another language, but you understood. So in that moment, Jesus shows you that he's very spiritual, but he's got enough power to speak with authority. Enough to say in that experience the power moment, you call yourself a ruler of the Jews and you don't understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about earthly things. Suppose I switch gears. I could talk about a place where I came from that you have never been. Then you would be befuddled. So he just kind of set the record straight. Do you feel the power? That's just one of them. Now we come to this moment when I must talk and when I, I tell you I love this part. Because what Jesus is saying is that you must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. You understand the water. You understand that it's being baptized. Water baptism is something that Nicodemus understood. But it is not that alone because if you are baptized having not been born from above. And that's what it means to be born again. It's being born from above. If you are baptized having never been transformed then you become part of the problem for Christians. We got a lot of Christians who appear by the way they talk. God bless you. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you. A little British accent doesn't hurt, you know. How I love the Word of God. You know. And, and there are many people acting as though they are Christians but they have only been born of the water not of the spirit the water 
is an external sign of an inward change that only the Holy Spirit can make. And when the Holy Spirit moves in your life imperceptibly, here is what happens. To be born of water and of spirit is equivalent to being born again. That is from above. Those who are born from above have God as their father and resemble him in character. Do you see it? They aspire by the grace of Christ to live above sin and not to yield to their wills to commit sin. So if you tell me that you have been born again, that is born from above, but you still let your own will control your life, then you are committing fraudulent advertisement. Because when Jesus has conquered your will, well, let me say it the correct way. When I have fallen in love with Jesus, and I say to him, Jesus, I can't run my life. I, I, I've blown it a thousand times. You take over my will. You run my life. Then I am changed because I have turned my will over to him. And when I do that, I want to re resemble my new father. If you've been born again, you've got another family. God becomes your father. Jesus becomes your elder brother. You are in another family. And you want to be like the family. I have said this often. I hope I don't get myself in trouble with this, but I, I have often said that until a choir has robes, I don't take them really seriously. Now somebody's going to come a few nights from now. A choir's going to come. They're going to be so hurt. They're going to say, Pastor Pearson said some awful things about us. Listen to me. When you come with your white shirt and your white blouse and your black skirt and your black pants, I know that you're working on it. <laughs> You've been together long enough to match the colors. And so I will listen to you. I want to see what you're going to be like. But it is not until you have on matching robes. And you know how they come out. They, they don't want to act like they're looking good, but they know they do. And they say, When you are part of the family of God, the way that we know you are different is because every one of the children tries to resemble dad. Huh? And I want to say to you that the greatest moment of power in this sermon is when you surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit. You say, Lord, I don't like the way I am. Let, let, let me say it this way. One of my favorite writers says that the way you know that you have been born again, God accepted them when they became weary of sin and having lost their desire for worldly pleasures, they resolved to seek God earnestly. But there are some people who wait for some Spielberg moment to know that you've been born again. You know, 
You've seen too many B-movies and you think the, the house is going to rumble or the windows are going to fly open and wind go through the house and you wait for some strength. Folks, that's not the way the Lord operates. He operates on fact, not feeling. There may be a feeling after the fact, but you can't trust the feeling. You've got to trust the fact. And he says when you've gotten weary of living like the world, when you decided I want to be a part of the family of God when the wind has blown you into the appropriate place and when Jesus pushes you lovingly not a shove into the moment where he will change you by the power of the Holy Spirit it is then when you are born again of the water and of the Spirit and I tell you that there's nothing more powerful than seeing somebody who has been changed I, I, I was preaching I was preaching one night in, a, in an unremarkable town where I was a pastor and there came a couple at the end of the meeting where I was preaching and, and I, I was about to close and these two stood up and I was wondering they are disrupting our services my first impulse was to call the deacons and say no but before I could call my assistants they said pastor are you going to make an altar call I said well not normally I don't this is not they said pastor you must make an altar call I said well then thinking back to know that there is an open door that no man can shut I said all right then the doors of the church are open and they stood up and walked down to the front I said what have you come for they said we've got to be a part of God's family if you had seen them they were dressed in a fashion that was far too showy. I'm trying to be nice. His dress was flamboyant, as though perhaps he were a purveyor of worldly pleasures on the streets. Am I clear yet? Her dress was rather scanty. In fact, as she approached the front, I turned my head because I knew the members would be looking to see if I looked at her. <laughs> ah, you didn't know we knew. <laughs> when I got those people into my study, they confirmed every suspicion that I had and that my elders had. My elders had pulled me aside just before I went in. They said, Pastor, these people are not the kind of people we want in this church. Oh, come on, you're saying that, but you've said it too. <laughs> you know, you, you know the kind of people you want to be part of your group. These were not those, and the elders said, Elder, I tell you, you need to take us in there with you. I said, no, no, no. You don't have the right attitude to talk to them tonight. You've got to take us in there because you will be, you'll be swayed by them. And before we know it, you'll have them in our church. I said, exactly. <laughs> they had every problem that you can imagine. They were dressed because they were that very group and they had stolen they had sold it everything you could think of they had done in fact they were in a relationship that was not a marriage 
everything was wrong. It took us days and weeks to work out all the problems that they had. But one day, they were willing to do everything that God said. And one day, I looked at them and knew that they had been born again. Hey, you, you know what's strange? They didn't put on a sign. You know, like we got these signs, you know, like a cross, a big cross. I'm not mad at your cross, but I, I'm not convinced by it either. Because the sign of being born again is not anything external. It's something that comes from within. I, I, I got to get to the end of this. I'm at my barber shop one day. And uh, somebody says to me, uh, you, know, you know, when you're getting your hair cut, I don't want anybody to mess that experience up. Are you a preacher? Uh, yeah. Is so-and-so, I can't call the name, a member of your church? Yeah. Well, I want to tell you something, preacher. I don't know what you got at that church, but if it could change him, if it could change them, I'm coming to your church. There are two dangers with people who want to be born again. There are some who don't know when it's happened. They're waiting for some strange, extra normal sign. And you must know that it's not based on feeling it's on the Word of God. He says it happens imperceptibly. And then there are those who go by some strange thing and think they've been born again when they've only had a feeling. And I tell you tonight, at night school you learned that it is not by might or by power, but it is by the Spirit that people are changed. And I'm glad that Jesus gives people the new birth in night school and all day long. So I want to say until Tuesday night, may God hear you when you call. May God lift you if you fall. May God bless you as you stand. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Good night and God bless you. Walter Pearson believes that Jesus Christ is the answer to every problem you face.